Today on Inside the Ropes, we go literally everywhere in the world of golf. Jared Felton, Izzy Taylor, Michael Jones, Mike Clayton. We have a lash at Bryson DeChambeau and talk about how he's revolutionising the game. But straight off, let's talk to Matty Guy, the favourite son of Australian golf who's had endured a very tough couple of days. Let's go. You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe through your favourite podcast app or listen at golf.org.au. Hello and welcome to Inside the Ropes, episode number 171, another Andy Marr free zone. And this week I'm absolutely delighted because that means that Alison Whitaker is picking up the microphone in his absence and that's that's a breath of fresh air for all of us. Welcome, Ellie. Oh, you know, thank you, Hazy. As ever, it's great to be here. I bet you Andy's just acting like the, the spirit millennial that he is. He's sitting back, he's having his avocado toast in the morning, maybe at 10.30. <laughs> Wondering what the other half are doing, but uh, no, it's a well-earned holiday for him. And uh, but it's good to be back on the show and chatting with you guys. Thank you very much, chai tea specialist. I think Andy Mar. Uh, one similar. Well, I don't know how we describe Matty Guy other than incredibly popular among the Australian golf community. And it's right off the top. Um, it's with a little bit of trepidation, to be honest with you, because I don't know what questions we're going to ask. But we saw some. Very disturbing images that Maddie put on Facebook during the week after suffering a, a very nasty injury. And I, we've done this. We don't normally chat like this to a guest straight off the top of the show, but Maddie is such a beloved figure in Australian golf. We just thought people might like to hear his voice after a very traumatic week. Matt Guyatt, welcome to Inside the Ropes. Thanks very much, guys, for having me on. Um, it is, as you said, it's, uh, it's a very nice thing to be able to be talking to you guys after the accident and... Um, yeah, it could have been a lot worse. And so I'm very grateful every day that goes past at the moment where I've still got my voice and I can still walk and talk and, and I will recover, which is, um, which is the main thing. So yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to be actually able to talk to you guys. Matt, um, you, you might want to explain to us what actually happened. I mean, don't go into graphic detail. I'm sure that won't uh, sit well <laughs> with you or anyone, but uh, yeah, if you could share with the listeners what happened, cause it was, it was a very serious situation. Yeah, look, I, um, you know, for those of you who know me and you guys both know me, um, you know, I love life and I love um, my wife and my kids and I love spending as much time as I can with those guys, you know, playing sport and being a part of their sport as they grow up as well. And, um, you know, I was literally playing basketball on the street with my 16-year-old son, Jack, on Saturday night and... Um, We'd actually just about finished, to be honest, and, and we're about to head inside to, to watch some footy on TV. And our street's a really communal street in a little cul-de-sac, and we have a have a, a quite a gathering out on the street this particular night. And um, every home was out there, all the, all the adults and all the kids. And uh, I literally just went to do one last layup as I was about to go inside, and it was right on dusk. And, um, and Jack, my son, who I've been playing with for probably a good 35, 40 minutes prior, just decided to sort of maybe, you know, block it. And um, so he ran after me and, and his legs just clipped my legs as I was about to sort of launch up to do the layup. And I just had no time. And um, unfortunately, it ankle tapped me is probably the best way to describe it and sent me flying forward headfirst into the backboard pole. And, and there's a little support side structure pole as well where um, that hit me on the right-hand side of my head. And, yeah, it um, it was an incredibly solid blow and it, 
it uh, split my head from front to back uh, like an egg, I guess is the best way to describe it. And it, um, I felt it straight away. I knew how bad it was straight away. And, and you know, I'm just absolutely blessed. And, you know, I, I'm a Christian and I truly believe God was there in that moment to keep me conscious because it allowed me to put my hands on my own head and 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 push it back together as best I could and um, and be conscious throughout the whole ordeal. I think it would have been a lot worse for my family and as bad as it was already. But, um, yeah, just a, a freak accident um, and, yeah, a horrible one. Um, certainly a pretty emotional uh, situation to have your daughter's your daughter upset and seeing a dad on the ground and as you know your head's a head's a pretty volatile thing that bleeds a lot when it gets cut so yeah, it was as you can imagine a 25 centimeter cut from front to back um was pretty nasty but you know man i was so proud of my son jack who despite feeling guilty um came straight to my age straight to my side what next dad what do we do and he put his hands on my head and he would have been covered in covered in blood, but he just stood by me and 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 did everything he needed to do. And I'm incredibly proud of him and my other son Johnson, who came straight over as well. And you know the street just banded together. I had neighbours' kids who, when Jack couldn't hold the pressure that he needed to any longer, another another other kid or adult that was standing by just stepped in the void. And just an incredible bit of teamwork. And um, you know, as I said at the outset, I'm really blessed that by the time we got to hospital and cats. Uh, CT scans were done on my skull and my neck and and my brain. Um, it all came back clear and there's no there was no fracture miraculously and and um, and then it was just a matter of the the process for the doctors to try and figure out how to go about um, putting me back together, Humpty Dumpty style. <laughs> Matt, so, I have yeah, to it's say, brutal. it is yeah, it's it's brutal to listen to. It's it's shocking to hear, you know, and obviously we feel for for you and your entire family um, that you had to go through an experience like this. It's it's just unbelievable to think that we're actually speaking to you just a couple of days later. In terms of you know what they what they did in the hospital, can you give us an idea of of what kind of treatments and 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 fixes they had to to put into place and and maybe you know shout out to a couple of the doctors that uh that have kept yeah absolutely yeah ali um yeah they i was at ipswich hospital and emergency and um they were incredible uh what a great team um just encouraging me the whole way along that you know everything was okay and just an incredible bedside manner um the results came back from the ct scan is the best news you could ever hear um in that moment i think um just to know that you know nothing long term um was coming your way and i spoke to hazy earlier and just said that you know i've got a friend who's you know been in the car accident a few weeks ago and she's you know staring down the barrel of being a quadriplegic so you know lying in that ct scan you just didn't know what was happening and you feared the worst but that news was the greatest thing ever and um and then i guess the doctors just um the head of emergency came in and and stood there with the other doctor as they then on they were able to unravel the bandages at that point which um they obviously did all the scanning without taking any of the bandages or neck brace off and uh <laughs> you uh you could hear their reaction when they took it off and you knew it wasn't great um uh, and then I think every emergency staff member in 
who was working that night came in over the next 15 minutes to have a look. I, I, I very quickly became an education patient. Um, they'd never seen anything like it. Um, and the process was uh, put in place to just fix it all up. And um, they said, it's not going to be fun. You're going to have to lie very, very still for an hour. Um, it'll be 45 minutes to an hour to, to heal that, uh, to stitch it up. Um, there's going to be a lot of injections of local anaesthetic, obviously, to do that, um, which every one of those stings for about five seconds before it starts to go numb. Um, and when they got into that process and started the ball rolling, um, the cleaning process has to happen first, but they inject you with the local to, to numb it all down so that they can then clean the the wound. I don't want to be too graphic, but it, that was horrendous because um, the blood obviously clots in that period of a few hours and they need to get all of that clotted blood out of the wound and underneath the wound. Um, and sorry. Um, yeah, just a, a process that was supposed to be 45 minutes to an hour, an hour rolled on and an hour and a half rolled on and um, at that point unfortunately what happens is that your local anaesthetic starts to wear off it's got about an hour of hour of time for a local and unfortunately at the same time you are only allowed to have so much local anaesthetic per weight of the person um, otherwise it starts to become toxic so uh, we were in this horrible dilemma at that point where I had about a third of the main cut to go um, and the anaesthetic's wearing off and I'm feeling every stitch. Um, and the doc stopped at that point and <laughs> he, he had genuine compassion and concern and said, Matt, look, listen, this is the dilemma. I've got another eight centimetre cut over here to fix, which had already been cleaned, thankfully. Um, and I need some local anaesthetic for that. But if And if I give you any more on this cut, you're not going to be able to have it for the other one. Um, so it's your call. <laughs> what a horrible call to have to make. But, you know, I just felt in that moment, I just prayed that God would get me through it. And he did, you know. And the last hour of that first cut was pretty horrible. Um, yeah. But... You know, I just kept thinking about the fact that I'm going to walk again, I'm going to talk again, I'm going to have use of my whole body, um, and I'm going to recover. And this short-term, this short-term pain of a needle going into my skin and coming out the other side was a, a small, a small moment in my life that I can get through. I can grip my teeth and, you know, have my amazing wife Rachel at the end of the bed. Um, hanging on to my feet and supporting me in any way she could, which was horrible for her to see. And uh, we got through it. And um, yeah, it was, it was, it was torturous. But um, as I said, that the end product was, the end goal was in mind that, you know, I, I'm going to be okay and I'm going to have a horrible scar and I'm going to have to deal with that. And that's been a real challenge over the last couple of days lying in bed you know, just thinking about, you know, the, yeah, I, I'm not blessed with great hair. So <laughs> I, um, I'm going to have a scar that's going to be on full visibility for the rest of my life. Um, 
unless I go Trump style and get myself one of those big rigs. So, um, <laughs> you know what? I reckon we okay. could raise a bit of money for you if that's what you wanted, Maddie. <laughs> I, I reckon we could we could yeah. get around that. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny to talk about it, and you know, I'm glad that I can kind of laugh about that stuff now. But you know, that's very real, and you know, it's uh, it's tough. You know, my I just feel for my my daughter, my ten-year-old daughter, and you know, it's going to be. It was scary enough for her, and, and just to see it every day, it's you know, a reminder. And she's had really tough time sleeping, and um, yeah. So I mean, it, it's laughable in the moment, but and you know, we can. I try to make light of it, but um, it's a real situation, and you know, that's just something that hopefully, as days go by, and I get better and better that, you know, I, I feel like I can care less and less about, you know, a big scar that's not very pretty um, and just keep trusting that, you know, the God I believe in will will make it as good as possible and, and will heal it. And, you know, I've been through life as a Christian knowing and hearing and seeing amazing healing stories in my own life and, and through people and, I just keep believing that he's going to, when the bandages come off, it's going to be unbelievably good. So I just have to keep having my faith. And um, and if it's not, well, my tightless cap will do a pretty good job as well. <laughs> and we're, I've just heard we've got another shipment of about 600 hats now <laughs> coming your way yeah. as well after that. Yes, thanks, that tightless. Moment, that, that, <laughs> you know what? Yeah, the what the one thing that you know you've always been incredible at is the the example that you've set, you know, for your family, for for everyone around you, whether it be on or off the golf course, and and I guess the one thing that thankfully um, your kids and your and your beautiful wife Rachel have to hang on to is is you, you know, it's something that yeah. they've gone through. You've all come out on the other the other side of it, and uh, honestly, we couldn't be happier to to hear your voice. Um, knowing now the, the full, in full detail what you've been through uh, in you know a matter of, of, of days is, is absolutely unbelievable and we're all absolutely behind you in your recovery um, and if there's anything we can do to help going forward or, or anything that you want to raise in terms of awareness or anything like that going forward um, we are all for it and uh, the whole Inside the Ropes team and, and I'm sure golfers around Australia are uh, sending good vibes your way. I think the, I think for me, Ali, the, you know, there's there's people saying, you know, you're 45 now, Matt, and it's time to slow down and you know stop doing things. But you know, I just I don't look at it that way. I I look at it that I want to be a I want to be a dad that's involved with his kids' lives, and I want to spend the time playing sport with them and doing things with them. And you know, this was a freak accident, and I think it's important to remember that you know I wasn't doing anything outrageous. I was. Um, far from that, I've done a lot of outrageous things. I can tell you that right now, um, where you know I probably you know could have been injured or should have been injured far worse than this. This was nothing. This was an innocuous, you know, accident and just a freak and freak of nature that happened. And you know, I, I, I guess at the end of the day, I encourage I encourage dads to be present dads with their kids and and um, and and make sure that work doesn't become something that takes you away from being a dad and um you know i've i've lived that part of my life as well as you you guys know and 
you know, playing professional golf and around the world, it, it does take you away from your family a lot. And, um, you know, I'm in this phase of life now where, you know, I'm in the next phase of my golfing journey, becoming a, a coach and I think a pretty good one. And, and you know, um, I, I want to be present with my kids and, you know, and give back to them now that, you know, they've had 10 years without me uh, as, a, as a golf pro and now it's time for me to, to be there. And I just encourage everyone out there to, you know, not be silly, but just be active with your kids and, and get out there. And I think COVID's, you know, strangely, COVID-19 has been an amazing thing for that. It's given me more time at home and and my kids more time at home and, and we've bonded and grown stronger. And, and this will just this will just do that even more, to be honest. You know, it's as difficult as it is for a family and we've had moments where we're all in tears, all five of us, um, talking stuff over. But, you know, we'll be galvanised. Our street will be galvanised. And, um, you know, something like this that happens with it, with your whole neighborhood um it's only going to make us a stronger neighborhood and and a, and a stronger family so you know I'm, I'm, and i'm extremely grateful ali you mentioned there the wider golfing community and i said to hazy this morning it's been quite humbling to receive all the messages or support you know just to know that um i did have you know, I must have left some sort of footprint or impact on a lot of people because, you know, people from, you know, who don't necessarily know me in person, but they just know of me from my time out on tour and playing in Australian Masters and things like that have sent messages of support. And, you know, that's incredibly humbling and, and I'm grateful for all those messages. And so a big thank you to everyone. It's been awesome. Maddie, um, absolutely. We understand that it's an emotional time. We really appreciate the time. We'll let you go. I do apologise for probably interloping into your situation a bit earlier than it's probably ideal. No, but not I at know all. That, as, as you said, there's a lot of people around Australia and the world of golf, to be honest, who would be very grateful to hear your voice and that you're fighting fit and you've still got that spirit that's uh, served you so well. So thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. And all we can say is uh, if you need help from anyone, reach out. We'll all be there. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. And all the best with the rest of the uh, podcast. And certainly the Matty G that you all know um, is not going anywhere. I'll be back bigger and better and stronger. Good man. Thanks. Matty Guyatt, um, lying down at home, joining us there on the podcast. I know it's sort of an unusual way to start, but he's, as I said at the top, such a beloved figure in Australian golf, Ali. And, and you know, it's a, it's, it's very sad to hear him tell that story, but it's also very relieving to hear that he's going to pull through. It's just, it's just a lovely sound to hear his voice. You know, um, I, I meant what I said. He's, he's an incredible example of, a, of what a, a player, a guy, a dad should be. And um, gosh, aren't we lucky to still have him around? We are indeed. And look, we're going to continue on here with the normal top of the show. It's going to pale into insignificance when we start. Well, one of us is going to, I'm not sure who yet, it's probably going to launch into Bryson DeChambeau, but uh, <laughs> it's going to seem a bit trite after listening to Matty. Uh, we absolutely appreciate him taking the call from, um, he's moved home from hospital, so that's a good sign. Um, graphic situation, apologise for anyone who is uh, a bit emotional there, as Matty obviously was, but thank you very much for um, the Guyatt family for letting us in. Uh, Ali, as mentioned, Bryson DeChambeau, the big winner in the, um, the Rocket Mortgage Challenge, I think it was called, in Michigan this week on the PGA Tour. Um, we might talk to Mike Clayton a bit about it later on in the show. We're also going to have join us today Izzy Taylor and Michael Jones. 
uh, talk to us about collegiate golf. And we're going to talk to Jared Felton, who was part of the wonderful thing that Catherine Norris put together at the Carthian Manager at the weekend about not only that, but what his plans are for the rest of the uh, 2020 season. But for right now, the uh, elephant in the room, and I don't say that uh, only pun slightly intended because he's a very big unit these days, Bryson DeChambeau, but the elephant in the room <laughs> is the big American crazy scientist, isn't it? Yep. You know what? I, I feel like everyone's got an opinion on BDC, uh, as the cool kids are calling him at the moment. But um, yeah, I, I find him quite, obviously he's a very polarising character uh, in, in the media and, uh, and amongst the fan base as well. But there's, I, I do have something that I want to raise about Bryson DeChambeau and it's, it's his process. So he's always been very mathematical about the way that he's treated his golf. There is a lot of supporting data that suggests that distance is now more, more needed and, and more beneficial to your game than accuracy. Um, there's two guys on Twitter, and I have to give them a shout-out because they've just read, put out some unbelievable figures, um, Lou Stagner and Scott Fawcett. And the, the way that they can break down using um, all of the shot link data in the US on the PGA Tour, they can actually go in and see how many people hit the fairways, what the percentage was, which side of the fairways yielded all of the birdies and, and that kind of thing. And it's, and it's starting to feed in the last 12 months into the way that guys play their practice rounds and, and so forth. It's actually taken a lot of the mental stress out of golf because they walk in with a definitive plan already of how to play a golf course. So it's not like, oh, am I going to hit three wood or drive off the tee? That, that decision is sometimes made based on historical data from the last five years on that golf course. And so in terms of that, it's almost like a little bit like a mental autopilot. And I, and I do think that he's acknowledged that he there's no way he would have missed it. Um, and he's, and he's acted on it. That's essentially what's happened here. He's seen the data come together and he's, and he's done it. But you think about how many people have been derailed trying to get more distance in the past. And that's the risk that he took. And it's just, Looking like it paid off after that win last weekend in Detroit. Well, I think we'll talk more about the distance and its impact when we talk with Clates. For me, I want to, I'll launch at him. You've been very... Uh, first of all, I don't um, belittle his <laughs> attempts to get the most out of his swing and the ability to hit a drive 370 yards dead straight under the gun is phenomenal. So no one's detracting from that. We'll talk about the distance more later. I was more disturbed, to be perfectly honest with you, Ellie, that he of his actions on Saturday, the third round. I'm not sure if you caught up with that with the cameraman, uh, where he'd had a bit of a, a bit of a breakdown. I and I think it was on the seventh hole, might've been the sixth, the seventh hole there. And he slammed his club after an errant shot in the bunker and the, followed, the cameraman followed him up to the next tee. And he basically had an ongoing argument with the cameraman. Now, Bryson, I know he's probably not a big fan of Inside the Robes after we baked him for his time issues last year. But this is one of the more petulant displays that I've ever seen on a golf course from someone who readily and happily invites in media when it suits his corporate purposes away from the tournament situations. This was an utter disgrace that he had the temerity afterwards, Ali, to sit there and say, I need time off when I'm being petulant. He didn't say that. 
But when I'm being petulant, I need the cameras to go away because it's hurting my brand. And that is a quote. That is an absolute disgrace. That is an absolute disgrace. You are who you are. You don't get to pick and choose when the public sees you. If you're a multimedia megastar, a multi-billionaire, you are warts and all. We, no one likes anyone who picks and chooses the image that they're portraying. We are what we are. Live it, Bryson. I cannot believe he did that. I, I will completely agree with you. I think, you know, when you think about golf, you, that's part of it. The, the whole notion of etiquette, of class, um, of, of the grace that we've seen from generations before us that played the same game that we, uh, we try to do justice now. Um, his, his quote, we need to start protecting our players out here compared to showing a potential vulnerability and hurting someone's oh. image. Um, so essentially, yeah, the cameraman followed him for, I, I think the issue he took was that they stayed on him for a good minute watching what I, I'm going to call a meltdown. I mean, albeit a small one, but whenever you do that, you know that you're probably going to have to answer for it later, but then to go and, and signal the cameraman, which just to me shows such an honest disconnect of the understanding of broadcast as well, because he has this, this cameraman has a director in his ears. So what you do is you have a producer, which essentially tells the story, the story, the director is literally telling these camera guys what they want to see. So he's being told to follow that person. He's told to zoom in, watch this, yep, get a reaction shot. And so it's all planned, but he's the person holding the camera, but he's not controlling the show. And also, mm. furthermore, currently, no crowds, smaller budgets in terms of TV and how it's done um, means that you actually have less cameras. So you have less golf to cut to. And so you actually end up seeing longer shots instead of it being as, as jumpy a production as it has been in the, in the past where you kind of feel like you're all over the golf course at once. It is more the story of, you know, those three final groups. We're going to show you everything mm. of those three final groups um, because of the restraints that they have. And so there's, there's just two big disconnects there for me. Um, but I, I just don't understand when you can want to be a, you can want to be a role model and be the only guy doing golf one way, but then you can't understand and grapple with the, um, the other concept of it in terms of morality. And it's, it's not as if he's um, dim-witted. He's one of the smarter guys on tour. I mean, he's, he's cerebrally very, very clever. It's just amazing that he, as you say, he's so disconnected. Now, uh, <laughs> I'd like to say more, to be honest with you. I, I can't believe it. I go and watch professional golf tournaments <laughs> because I want to see the pros escape from trouble. I can hit it into trouble. I just can't get it out. I want to see them enduring these problems. It really bugs me when people get snaky. Does he want the cameras to shut off when he blocks one into the trees? Anyway, look, I can talk all day about this, Ellie. I will point, if people really want to get an, uh, get their, <laughs> their licks in on Bryson DeChambeau, I can point you to a Golf Week story uh, by Eamon Lynch. If you search Eamon Lynch, um, I'll just read you the intro and then I'll leave it be because I could, it just it absolutely staggers me that we're talking about this. This is the intro by Eamon Lynch. It's one of life's more reliable axioms that if a man has to tell you he's a good dude, there's a fair chance he is actually an insufferable gobshite. <laughs> 
and it only gets worse from there. So if you're interested in that, I recommend uh, Eamon Lynch's stories. Well, it's just it's just brutal, and it just tells it like it is, and I think it reflects a far more accurate impression of what the world of golf thinks about Bryson DeChambeau. Now, as opposed to the golf, which we'll talk about late, a little bit later with Clates uh, and the impact that his driving uh, has had on the, uh, on the field and on the way golf stands to be played. Did you know, Ali, that as we record this, Bryson DeChambeau is now the favourite to win the Masters in Augusta in November if it's played? I, I, this is an incredible thing. This is ahead of Tiger, Dustin... Rory, Kepka, everyone. Bryson DeChambeau, the way he's theoretically at least standing to revolutionise the game. Um, I hope his uh, demeanour comes along for the ride because clearly he's a very talented player. Well, that, that's because he's had seven consecutive top eight finishes. So that's the algorithms and the people that are studying the numbers doing their work probably more than anything yeah. else. But what a juxtaposition um, of... of things that would be to see him win around a golf course that kind of has a, a different potential set of values than uh, than what he's <laughs> displayed this past weekend. That's, that's very well put, very un-Aim and Lynch of you, well played. Now, just for the record there, Rian Gibson was the only Australian to make the cut, finished in a tie for 45th back at 10 under. A good week, had, had one uh, fantastic round, a 67 and, and then a 68 actually in the third round to get back into it a little bit, but just... Hadn't been able to string the four rounds together. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau hasn't played a round over 70 in a very, very long time. So 23 under. It's a big gap. Three shots away from Matthew Wolf. Another two back to Kevin Kisner in third. do want to uh, make mention, Ali, before we take our first break here of the Corn Ferry Tour, uh, where Brett Coletta um, didn't quite... Um, get it over the line again, but finished prominently, tied for 18th, was there throughout the first couple of rounds, a disappointing third round, but fought back well. Um, I think it's coming for him. I just think it's only a matter of time until a four-round performance here will have him in the winner's circle on the Corn Ferry Tour. Um, Harrison Endicott and Curtis Luck also making the cut there. Great. Dollars in the bank. And, uh, you know, off the back of the break seeing early form is exactly what you want because to come back and not feel match ready and take a couple of weeks to get to get those numbers under your belt you know it's, it's just like you're treading water but uh, great to see you know some strong starts and um like you say putting money on the board as well all right well as i said we'll come back with mike clayton a little later on fingers crossed and talk about bryson dechambeau's impact on the uh, the length uh, of what he's doing to golf um, in the interim, we're going to take a quick break, then come back on the other side with Jared Felton uh, on Inside the Ropes. Let's go back Inside the Ropes with Golf Australia. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes. And we've been spending a fair chunk of time over in WA in the last month or so. There's been so much going on over there. So much, not only good for golf, but good for the community. And joining us this week is Jared Felton, who is obviously a great golfer himself, but he's been heavily involved in a couple of the, the social and community-based uh, aspects of the WA scene in the last few weeks. Jared, welcome along. Thanks for having me, guys. We'll try to keep it a bit more straight and narrow than your last appearance on this show. It's been cut into the highlights, uh, the Hall of Fame highlights of Inside the Rose. We'll try and keep it much more sort of G-rated today. So, so everyone in the Felton family will be happy with that, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, he'll probably, the old man will probably be listening, so. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mate, you're fresh off uh, a fantastic day at the Cut Golf Club down near Mandurah. Um, maybe you could walk us through a bit about that because it was a huge day uh, for Catherine Norris and her family. Yeah, that was um, that was a massive day. She asked um, a bunch of us to kind of be a part of a, a golf day that she wanted to organise uh, for her mum, who unfortunately is suffering from uh, breast cancer. So we thought we'd get together and, um, yeah, it was all run by her. We were just... We were just we just rocked up and, and played some golf. Um, myself, Hannah, Hayden Barron, uh, Hayden Hopewell and Braden Becker uh, teed it up at the cut on Sunday. And the goal was to shoot 27 under for 18 holes. Um, we're in two balls. So myself and Hayden partnered, Hannah and Catherine and Hayden Barron and Braden uh, played Ambrose. And we managed to get to 30 under through 13 before we got called off the lightning. <laughs> 30, 30 under. under through 13. Yeah. I don't think the crowd really understood how good we were playing. <laughs> <laughs> I was playing out of my skin. Well, it, to be fair, yeah, it sounds like they might have lost count from the sounds of it. Well, it, we got to like 21 through 9. Oh. And, um, yeah, we were kind of just feeding off each other. I mean, they had the tees forward and it was just kind of a fun day, but... Um, yeah, we started to get the ball in the hole, but it was it was a lot of fun. That's amazing to me, Jared, because I mean the cut's not a you know it's a great course. It's it's not a you know short choppers place. It's it's a good solid test. Yeah, it's pretty tight. Um, I can vouch for that on one hole. I was busy in the trees looking for a ball, but um, <laughs> no, nah, it's a good test. Ah, uh, you got to love Ambrose. You have to love Ambrose, Ellie. I know. I know. Yeah, Ambrose is great, big, especially big. when. Especially when someone's hit down the fairway to start with, you can just go bombs away. <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about what the uh, what the atmosphere out there was like? Because I'm it, like I, I was watching on social media and saw, you know, at, at one point in time, I think at least a, a good kind of fifty fans um, all being very aware of their kind of social distancing rules and stuff um, a long way away from the green, but but kind of surrounding it. Was it nice to get back in front of uh, playing in front of crowds? Yeah, it was great. Um, there was probably about oh, 120 uh, locals down there, obviously more Catherine's um, members of her golf club. But um, no, it was it was a good kind of uh, amphitheatre type setup. Because obviously, the cut is a lot of raised greens, and the fans kind of crowded crowded around the greens. And it was it was nice to kind of like when we played at um, the nine hole match at Gosnells. It was nice to kind of get in front of fans again so do you do you feel like you're sort of becoming the sort of the tiger woods of or phil mickelson of australian golf may just playing these charity events to keep the the wolves from the door of these charities <laughs> no i'm just i'm just tagging along with hannah <laughs> <laughs> she's um she's running a pretty pretty good uh show at the moment and she's doing all she can to give back to the game and it's it's pretty impressive to watch from the sidelines now, mate, here's an early opportunity for you to get in for uh, Valentine's Day next year because she, just give a word about what she's been doing from your perspective. I know it's hard when she's your partner, but um, she has given so much back to so many since she's, uh, you know, had a big major championship win last year. I assume she hasn't changed one iota on the inside uh, and, and interactions with you, but she's been so, you know, just sensational in her output for the rest of the country. No, she's been great. Ever since she won that major championship, I don't think she's actually really stopped to to think about what she actually did um, back then last year in July. And uh, 
even said she'd kind of treat herself after she won. She still hasn't even done that. So she has not changed one bit. And everything she's doing for junior golf and golf in Australia is, yeah, I mean, it, it's great. And I want to kind of, I want to, I've definitely looked up to it and gone, well, okay, this is a chance where we can, at this time where we've got time off, we can definitely help out at our home clubs and around in charity events as well. In terms of, you know, the, the golf between the two of you, I remember I, I chatted to, uh, to Greeny at the Vic Open last year and she was waiting for you to come in. She was talking about some of the things that she'd learnt off your golf game as well in terms of, you know, sometimes being so close to someone, you can kind of differentiate how you want your own path to go. What, what have you learnt in terms of um, from the golfing side of things from, from Hannah and, and potentially vice versa? Uh, her attitude on and off the golf course is probably second to none. Um, on the golf course, she's she's very driven. Um, something that changed from when she was an amateur, she she kind of changed that and she just went, you know what, I belong out here. And she's very driven, very confident on the golf course and off the golf course. She's just a very likeable person. So that's definitely something I've learned from her. Have you, uh, have you been enjoying the, the kind of domestic life the last couple of months? I've been talking to a lot of pros around the world and, uh, and it's not something that, you know, we're really used to spending this much time at home and just kind of settling in and, and seeing what it feels like. How's it been for you guys? Uh, it's been great. Um, we kind of moved out uh, this time last year and we probably spent, oh, I'd say, two and a half months in our apartment for the last year. But then before COVID hit, we've been there for like five months straight. So it's actually been been great on that, that side of things. And obviously um, just kind of being home and Getting in a routine at home um, is a massive change, and obviously, the the nice thing about not getting on a plane has been really nice as well. So, Jared, last week we had the um, the the great news between the ALPG, the PGA, and Golf Australia setting up the State Challenge, which I assume, just based on your history, that you're going to be part of in WA. Um, that included what what is on your playing schedule? Because I I know you'd be itching to get out and get into tournament mode somewhere. Um, my schedule looks pretty pretty dull uh, at the moment. I mean, the European Tour, they started up they start up this week in Austria. Um, but unfortunately, with all these travel restrictions and vice versa quarantines, I've kind of elected just to stay home. Um, we've been guaranteed status for the following year. So there's no tour school, so we don't need to kind of have to worry about it too much. I mean, Australia is a pretty safe place at the moment. So I think I'll just probably stay put and wait until the, hopefully the Aussie summer of events start up kind of September, August time. So have you got any insight into what that might be this summer yet from um, from your fellow pros or is it just something we're just all going to have to suck it and see for the next few months? Yeah, it's going to be kind of late notice, I think. Um, obviously, with all this stuff changing around, left every day you wake up, there's something new. Um, so I think it's just going to be a, a last-minute kind of dash to play some events. I know the WA events um, are hopefully going to go ahead. Um and then vice versa, we're obviously trying to get from state to state. It's going to be a little hard. Um, this WA border thing's really putting its foot down on us. Yeah, you guys are living in a bit of a, I don't know, it's almost walled there across the Nullarbor, isn't it? It's, it's, it's Yeah, we've, we've done a Trump and we've built our own wall. <laughs> <laughs> Keep those pesky, well, I, don't, I was going to say South Australians, but it's more the Victorians you're trying to keep out, to be honest. So, no, we understand oh, yeah. that. 
got plenty of friends in Victoria and I feel sorry for them what they're going through and hopefully it all changes pretty soon. Well, mate, just before we let you go, can you just perhaps wrap up for us? I know that Catherine was on, us, on with us last week. Um, she was trying to get to something equivalent of $20,000, which is a huge ask. I know she got fairly close there. Um, you know, just you, I'm always intrigued by the quality of the golf community in Western Australia because people just keep giving and giving and giving and it just seems just what you guys do you must be super proud of that because Catherine uh you know it's, it's one of several things that you've you've mentioned there is just continually giving back yeah I mean she we kind of grew up with Catherine and as soon as she kind of approached us well the first the first word was yes um we'll kind of do anything to help out a, a fellow West Australian and it was obviously for a, a cause very close to her heart as well um so I mean I think we're all the same we've all grown up around the same age brackets and I think we we all know that we can't do anything for each other to kind of you know help out and get to the next level in golf yeah no it's fantastic I, Ali I just think that's tremendous what the the guys and girls do over there in WA no I just I'm just so proud of all of them and the, but you know just as much for what they do off the course obviously as they as they do on the course where you can get pretty results driven but in terms of uh, success I don't think that there's uh, any better measure than than giving back the way that these guys are. And uh, congratulations to all involved, Felts. It's, uh, it's unbelievable work that you guys uh, put it together with uh, Catherine's guidance, obviously. But it's one thing to say, it's another thing to do it. And you did it and uh, we're all super proud of you. Yeah, it was a great day. And um, hopefully there'll be more of them in the future that we can help out with. That's awesome. Thanks, Joe. I really appreciate it. And I, I just hope that we didn't let Hayden Barron too far off the social media hook because I know he can get a bit sort of loose if he's given half a chance so he's, i hope you can he's loving it <laughs> oh betty is he was and he was doing a good job with it too he was loving it <laughs> he's got a big future that man then no matter where it goes but we're really as ali said we're really proud of you and thanks for joining us today and best of luck for whatever the rest of 2020 holds awesome thanks for having me guys we'll be back with more on inside the ropes straight after the break let's go back inside the ropes with golf australia Welcome back to Inside the Ropes, and we're absolutely chuffed to have, um, well, to me, a very familiar face. Uh, I've seen Izzy Taylor play around the traps for Queensland for a couple of years now, but she disappeared off the scene, and Ali Whitaker, she went to a place that you're very familiar with, the collegiate American golf system, and we're, we're thrilled to have her back today. I know you've got a lot of questions to ask her, because she's done something pretty special. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I'm I'm really passionate about talking uh, talking to Izzy about this, and uh, I think off the top we should say uh, congratulations, Izzy. Do you want to tell everyone what you've done? Oh, thank you so much. Um, so I just completed my freshman year at Oregon State University, and I played in all tournaments. I had a few top ten finishes, and I was able to walk away um, being an All American, which basically means. You're competing at a high level athletically and you're also getting good grades academically. So, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, and it is genuinely a massive achievement. You know, from your school in Oregon State, I think only four or five people have done it in the last five years. So to do that whilst dealing with your freshman year, which I actually equate almost equally to the difficulties of your rookie year on tour, um, what an experience for you. Yeah, it's been amazing for me. It's definitely, um, you know, Oregon is definitely completely different to the Gold Coast. Um, different climate, different people. Um, but for me, I found it, I was really lucky. I found it really easy to settle in and 
um, get going with academics and golf. So I was really fortunate to have like a great team around me and yeah. So Izzy, you're a, you're a very uh, sociable young lady. I would, I think I'd describe you as being that <laughs> you, you, uh, uh, had a lot of friends back in the, the, the Queensland system, back through the QAS, etc. Um, mm-hmm. I noticed that there were a couple of New South Wales girls from uh, Washington State, namely Amy Chu and Amy Chu and Darcy Habgood, who are also featured in this. What is it about Australians going across to the United States and fulfilling that role so well? Um, I don't know. I think like uh, you know, Americans. I think they quite like Aussies because we're really like easygoing and we're very competitive. But. Um, I mean, like, Darcy and Amy, like, I play in a lot of the same events as them. And I actually played with Darcy in the last event that I played in for the spring term, uh, the winter term. So that was really fun. Um, but, yeah, I think, like, we've all just settled in really well. I think we've gone to the right places for us individually. And, yeah. That's a massive point you've raised, uh, Izzy, which is, trying to work out the equation in terms of what school is right for you because you kind of don't know until you've already committed and you get over there if it's if it's the right fit can you talk us through a little bit about your recruitment process and how that came about how you made the decision to go to the us yeah so i actually when i was about 15 i was playing the greg norman and my mom was standing on the side of the putting green and a college coach came up to her and was asking her, oh, do you know any of the girls here? And um, my mum was like, oh, gosh, no, like, I don't know anyone. My daughter's just over there on the tipping green. And this this uh, lady was a recruiter coach from Colorado, which is where Kirsty and Robin went. And um, she basically told my mum all about college. And it was really interesting to me because I've always loved traveling. And I, found, I thought it'd be awesome to go and travel over uh, – to travel overseas and study overseas. So once I finally kind of learned about it, um, it was I got straight into researching and reaching out to coaches and coaches started reaching out to me. And then the, my my coach came and watched me, I think it was at the 2017 Aussie in Western Australia. And she was impressed and she said, like, I want to offer you, offer you a scholarship and would love for you to come and play with us. And then I flew over to Oregon a month later um, or I think it was months later, and I went on a visit and I committed because I just loved it. I just loved the atmosphere. I loved the college. I loved the people. So yeah, it was a, it was a, it was an easy decision for me. That's for sure. So Izzy, we're very. You mentioned your college coach there from Oregon, but we're very fortunate today to be joined mm-hmm. by your coach here in at home in Australia, and that's Michael Jones. Mm-hmm. Welcome along, Michael. Um, I, I would be interested to hear Michael. Uh, the role that you played in, in helping Izzy prepare for this? Because I know you're an advocate for collegiate golf as a pathway for young women in particular. Uh, yeah, Mark, I, I just thought for Izzy it was a perfect fit because uh, getting Izzy over the United States, playing plenty of tournaments against all comers, um, I just thought it was a really good way of getting a, an education but also uh, lifting the amount of competitive golf that Izzy would have to play. So, you know, collectively at Team Izzy, uh, everybody was on the same page. And fortunately, it worked out that way. And, uh, yeah, Izzy's uh, shown that she's a smart cookie and she can play golf. So it's a good combination. I didn't realise there was a hashtag Team Izzy, Izzy. (laughs) Just a little tight group. (laughs) (laughs) I should have put my membership application in on the ground floor. (laughs) 
No, it's so good. What, I was can very you, can lucky. Can you talk to us, Mike, a little? Sorry. Oh, sorry, cutting you off there, is he? No, I was gonna, I was gonna get Michael's thoughts in terms of how your um, relationship, in terms of coach student, has has had to kind of adapt a little bit with the the distance and and trying to um, get the communication right from uh, from across the waters. Um, probably Ellie, from a coaching point of view, like I started coaching is when she was twelve, so I think she's nineteen now. So um, it's been a while. But, uh, you know, Dawn Shockley, the head coach at Oregon State, does a great job with her team. And I, I think it's just like anything to Ali, anything else, Ali. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, speaking easy when she wants to know something, not overloading her and, you know, letting her find out things for herself. And I think that's probably been one of the biggest improvements for her, as in, um, in Oregon, she's the only one there. She has to make her own decisions. And to her testimony, you know, she's made some good ones and it shows in her golf and it shows in her academics. So, yeah, probably when we first started golf, that wasn't the way, but uh, she's matured and, yeah, she's learned how to do those and have those life skills. So that's made a big difference to the way she plays golf. So, Izzy, I've always thought you were a good golfer. How were you as a student, mm-hmm. as, a young, as a young lady? I know that probably it wasn't the front and center of your mind but clearly you've done exceptionally well over there yeah actually this all this all american award it's actually my first ever academic award put it that way um uh in (laughs) school i wasn't um i wasn't the smartest cookie you know i was pretty average i was happy to be average I i worked hard to be average so um you know i kind of got the grades that i needed to get to get into college and studied the right subjects and um yeah, just really focused on that. In terms of the subjects, Izzy, I, like where I went to school um, at Duke, you had to do two years of kind of general, um, I guess, feeling things out in terms of general subjects and then you picked your major after two years. Is the system the same and how are you going about uh, making those choices? Yeah, it is the same. Um, I'm very lucky that I have a like a great um, academic team at Oregon, which helped me navigate what classes I need to take and when I need to take them. Um, so they keep me on track so that I'm ready to graduate when I need to. Um, but yeah, my first year, they say it's like another year of high school um, in America, but I'd say my subjects were just random. Like I did, I did uh, English classes, math classes, I took a Native American flute class. I took a yoga class. I took um, a whole bunch of science classes. It was just it was just the most random thing. But um, yeah, I've got most of that out of the way now. I have to say, Izzy, you are you're hard pressed to beat to beat what I did my freshman year in terms of taking a hip hop aesthetic and also primate sexuality. But I think you've done it. Yeah. <laughs> I took I took a, a music a reggae class last term. It was just a whole bunch of random classes. That's all I can say. But, Native, um, Ameri- Native American flute is it? You have to be kidding. Yeah. No, I had a flute, and one of our final assignments was we had to like decorate our flute, and um, we, I played the flute. I wasn't very good. Um, I don't think I'm very uh, musically talented at all, um, but might just stick to golf for that um but yeah it was fun it was good that, that sounds like a ron burgundy thing more than a uh, university <laughs> of oregon thing <laughs> yeah 
Michael, I just uh, want to ask you specifically, I know that you deal a lot with some of the younger girls around um, not only southern Queensland, but northern New South Wales as well. There must be some others um, considering the same option or, or wondering whether it's the right path to take. Um, you, can you shed any light on what you think is a good path for them going forward? Uh, yeah, Mark, I, I seriously think it's a good option. It's not the only option. But I think girls who are developing their golf skills, um, maybe from an academic or high school point of view, it's a little bit uh, challenging for them. Um, I think the most important thing, the message, and, and, and Izzy's showing it in spades, if you're willing to go get some help in challenging yourself to become better academically and you keep up the golf, you know, anything's possible. And I think there's a lot of girls in Australia who play golf um, if they just reach out and get some help, if they're struggling maybe with academics or even struggling with their golf, because yeah, I think uh, a lot of girls in Australia could could do a lot worse and get a four-year education and play a lot of golf on a on a team. And I think that only makes Australian golf look better. And yeah, we need a lot more girls playing golf. That's a hundred percent true. Is Izzy? I'd like to know where you think your golf sort of sits in with some of the you know the young women rising up from high school in the United States through to their collegiate system. I'm sure you're playing with people from other countries as well, but I'm assuming your golf just sits in pretty well. It was always pretty impressive in Queensland. Yeah, I think um, the one thing that I realised is, you know, like you're coming here and you're playing in like the, the big amateur, tournament, amateur tournaments in Australia and, you know, there's probably, you know, there's 50 really good girls here and, you know, then you go to the play American collegiate golf and all of a sudden there's, 400 really good girls so I think like competing in America like it's tough like it's not easy and the girls like they go out there and they want to win and um I think yeah I've definitely learned a lot more about my game and um mentally I don't think honestly physically much has changed but I think mentally I'm a whole different player and um that's definitely helped my game did you find the same thing Ellie when you took the plunge into I like honestly, this sounds like listening to myself on a bit of a time warp, Izzy, and I don't think that that's necessarily complimentary to you. Uh, but what I mean, it's kind of the it's the notion of going and being a bigger fish in a small pond, and then having that totally mm. kind of flipped on you, um, which is one of the things that I found incredibly beneficial for my game. And going back to kind of Michael's point earlier about um, how you know if you can put four rounds together in the 70s you can get a scholarship in the us it doesn't necessarily have to be one of the top 30 schools either but there's an incredible experience on offer at someone else's expense um and it's a, a great way of opening up another pass uh kind of a, a pathway and i'm it's so refreshing a to hear your experience izzy but also to hear the support coming from michael because back when i did it it was actually a little bit more of a faux pas to go overseas um and it wasn't always supported by um those kind of the, the elite um, amateur bodies in Australia. And I, I, but I do think in terms of growing the game, there's just so much, uh, so much experience to be had. Yeah. Do you, and Michael, yeah, I'm assuming you're in full agreement. That, yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think it's just like any, any sport, but in Australia with the girls, I, yeah, obviously the boys, they've got the testosterone pumping through them and, they're pretty good at telling you, you know, they're going okay, but maybe the girls sometimes get left behind a little bit. But I think 
you know, as Izzy's shown, four years in America, or one year at the moment, her maturity certainly got um, through the roof and her life experiences have, have changed her a lot for the better. And I think there's a lot of girls in Australia, look, if you get all that much more on the improve, I'm sure the golf will follow. Totally with you on that front. Now, I do, I do have one kind of last final question from me, and it's, and it's a, a bit of a polarising one. Izzy, are there sororities at Oregon State? And is that, <laughs> is that potentially on the cards? I didn't, ha- I didn't have that option really at Duke, but I'm curious as to whether you did and you can go live in one of those big houses with the, uh, the gamma signs on the front of it. Yeah, it's actually funny. Like the most common question I get um, when I come home from college or I'm talking to someone in Australia is they ask me, is it like the movies? And I just say, it's exactly like the movies. Um, it's, yeah, it really is. And, um, but no, sorority is not for me. Um, <laughs> I'm, see, I haven't, I don't have much spare time with golf and academics. So, um, yeah, I'm just going to stick to that. Um, but yeah. No, we, obviously you've been using your, your spare time to study because we should mention that to be a, you know, a WDCA academic All-American, you've got to keep your grade point average over 3.5, which uh, equates to, I, I think, essentially just around about an A average, doesn't it, Izzy? Yeah, I got just a, a little bit short of an A, um, maybe A minus. Yeah, so I got in my winter term, I got a 4.0, which is basically like the highest GPA you can get. So that's like straight A's. Um, which was really cool for me because I barely ever got an A in high school. So I think the only A I ever got was in PE or something. So um, no, it was awesome. Like, and it just proves <laughs> it just proves the amount of support that you have at the college, like with tutors and um, advisors and stuff. You know, like you have everyone there is wanting to help you. So it's really cool. Well, Izzy, it's been a joy to catch up with you and we really appreciate your time and Michael's. And I know that Ali and I are already booked in for when you come to the Athenaeum Theatre and play some Native American flute. I think that's really <laughs> caught my attention. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I might, I might no. do you guys a video and I think you might say, no, I, I actually, we take that back. That's hurting my ears. <laughs> uh, no, not at all. I think Michael, Izzy's thank album you very much. coming out at Christmas, Mark. Is it? Do you, what do you think it might be called, Michael? Yeah, yeah. I think apparently it's going to be big in America. <laughs> Team Izzy on the flute. We love that. Thank you both very much. Uh, we really appreciate it. And to you, uh, Amy and Darcy, congratulations on a huge era. All, all American scholars. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic achievement. Um, well played. And thanks for joining us on Inside the Ropes. Thanks, thanks Alex. Thanks, Mark. Ali, that's a, an amazing thing, really. I know that you had a, um, you know, quite the time at Duke. Uh, you've even still managed to say Duke and not Duke, so I'm pretty happy about that. But you, um, it, it changed your world for the, you know, for the better, obviously. Yeah, I wouldn't be where I, where I am today if I hadn't gone there, to be honest with you. Um, the pathways that it opened up for me were incredible. And uh, I, I think the message that this goes long long further down the list, a lot further down the list in terms of scoring and opportunities that, you know, if you've got a single figures uh, handicap in Australia, this might be an option for you in Division 1, Division 2, uh, certainly worth looking into because it's yeah. a pretty cool thing looking back on it. Great. And keep it in mind, everyone listening, um, if you're, not only for you, if you're a young woman listening, but also 
friends and family because it's definitely an alternative um, you know and you can hear Izzy just thriving in the academic side of things and as she said it wasn't her her long suit as a 16 15 year old girl coming up through the ranks so tick 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 all all sorts of good there thank you Izzy Taylor and Michael Jones for joining us we'll be right back with more after this break let's go back inside the ropes with Golf Australia Welcome back to Inside the Ropes, um, jam-packed show today. To be honest, we've got voices coming at us from left, right, and centre, and there's no bigger voice in Australian golf than Mike Clayton. Who, Clayton, you might have to tell us exactly where you're joining us from. But we've already uh, plugged earlier your thoughts on Bryson DeChambeau, but I want to know exactly what you're doing today. Well, Lucas Michelle, who's getting ready for the US Open, and I are up at Trentham Golf Club, walking around Trentham with a few members and. Discussing the golf course, which is interesting, but it's kind of cold up here, but nice. So, in fact, we saw um, two groups ahead of us: the bloke walking with his dog, which was brilliant. We need more dogs in golf. So, um, well, I, you can. I'm going to limit you to like one rant at a time. So, I'm going to. We'll come back to the dogs one another time. Come back to like, dogs and golf. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, we'll do we'll do dogs another time. Trentham, a be- beautiful um, part of the world there, sort of, I don't know, it's not quite in the central highlands, but it's heading up that way from Melbourne. So great spot. Uh, we look forward to hearing what you're doing there. But specifically today, we already I already dressed down um, my thoughts on Bryson DeChambeau earlier um, from the uh, speaking to the cameraman side of things. But more importantly, from the game of golf's perspective, the broad picture... He set records that we've never seen, obviously, before. Um, averaged over 350 yards for the tournament in Michigan. Was the first person ever to lead driving distances and shots gained putting in the one tournament. And if that continues, Clates, we're going to see Bryson DeChambeau's name in the mix a lot more often. He's changing the face of the game. Well, he's in the ball a long way. So he's changing the... He's completely through his own efforts, destroying the dimensions of the golf courses to the point where there's not much point to them anymore because they're just, as far as I can see, they're driving wedge fests. And good for him. But before the virus, the RNA and USA came out with their statement about the distance and how far the ball's going and what what they're hopefully going to do about it, which is this is only accentuated or, or showing up the need for him to do something about the ridiculous distances the ball's going. And Bryson gets full marks for what he's done, but he's only been allowed to do it because of the scientists and the engineers. What the, you know, they've got a ball that goes, you know, an amazing golf ball that goes like a rocket and spins. And long, light golf dri- drivers with frying pan heads on them. So the ultimate manifestation of that, and that's what Nicholas and Jack Nicholas is the head of it, have been banging on for years about, we need to get this under control. So the other manifestation is guys averaging, you know, one guy averaging 250 yards on the tour. And if the lesson of history, all the way back to Ted Ray, the start of the 20th century, was that the freak in one generation becomes the norm in the next. You know, through Sneed, Nicholas, Daly, Tiger, and now Bryson, is that in 20 years' time, there'll be 50 guys doing what he's doing. And then what's the point of Kanks and Hayes or Ron Melbourne? There is no point to that. Those courses anymore because nobody holds a wedge for them. So, you know, it's just the RNA, I think, more than the USJ recognise that something needs to be done about it. And, and, and the virus has distracted everyone from 
what they said four months ago about what their plan to, to address the problem was. So no criticism of Bryson. I mean, he carry on like a dick with a photographer, but that's not the point. You know, he, he's doing everything within the rules. And what's the point of architecture and golf courses if that's how it's going to finish up would be my point. So to create what we had 50 years ago, which doesn't seem that long ago, I mean, 1970, Arnold Palmer averaged a four iron during one of the rounds. You know, his average club into the greens at the, I think it was the second or third round of the 1969 year was a four iron. So to recreate that test, the golf course is at least 9,000 yards. Mm. We don't have the money, the resources, the land, the, the space to, to, to accommodate that. So the four tournaments we've seen this year, what are the winning scores have been 265, 261, 262, and 265, I think, which is amazing golf. But you know, it's been created by the ability of the players to hit the ball a long way. So... I looked at today that uh, someone hits it well, 290 yards on the tour. So he's averaging 13 yards longer than Greg Norman at his best. He's 160th in driving distance. So mm. that's where the game's gone. And at some point, it needs to address the issues the issues that that creates. It just can't keep going. So that's where we're at. In terms of the golf course last week, Detroit Golf Club, like the, the rough was thick enough, in particular around the greens. Is there... Is there enough that, from a course setup point of view, that can be done to, to kind of mitigate what's what's happening? Well, the, if you go to Royal Melbourne and the Presidents Cup, the evidence of the Presidents Cup and Royal Melbourne and the Sandbelt is that the best hazard around greens is short grass, not long grass, because it feeds the ball away from the green. So if you've got bouncy greens and interesting contours and short grass that runs the ball away from the green, if you took the fifth at Royal Melbourne, so the fifth west, which was a third in the President's Cup. Tiger had a great shot in there. It came up a yard short. of the. Well, in, in fact, he ball landed on the front of the green and it came 30 yards back down the hill. In America, it stops on the edge of the green because it gets stuck in the long grass. So I think they've got a very one-dimensional view of how to punish players who missed the target. You, you stick them in long grass. So what would be an easy shot played off a good lie becomes a difficult shot played out of a horrible lie. Whereas the principle of Australian golf is you have difficult shots played off perfect lies. The Americans did the opposite on the tour, not on their best courses, but they don't play those on the tour. So, you know, do we completely distort golf by growing long grass everywhere just to combat what the ball's doing? In an so effort, you, really, to just suggest potentially. Score. Well, sorry, go on, Ellie. No, what, yeah, no, what I was going to say, Clates, is in terms of, like, I, I guess that's the whole concept. Like, we see these guys struggling to have any control out of their grass up near the green, and we think that that's the place that it should be. But obviously what you're suggesting is grow the, grow the long grass, but grow it where the guys are actually hitting it in terms of narrowing the fairways, and then from there shave it down around the, the kind of greens complex a little bit more to move the ball away further away from the green, in particular on, what? you know, a, a Donald Ross layout like this was. But I don't think you want to narrow the fairways either. I don't think narrowing fairways is the answer either. Because you just, all the time, you, I mean, if you narrow the I mean, again, I'll go back to Royal Melbourne. If you narrow the fairways at Royal Melbourne, you destroy the golf course. There's no point to Royal Melbourne. The whole point of Royal Melbourne is space and width. So, yeah. I mean, you could make Royal Melbourne where 300 won the tournament if, if you grew 10-yard wide fairways and had thick cooch grass, but you would destroy the golf course at the same time. So I don't think golf... I, 
golf at its best is not a straight hitting contest. It's an act. You know, so on the tour, with, with 27 yard wide fairways, it becomes a straight hitting contest. And the guys have figured out that you're better off in the rough 100 yards from the green than you are 130 yards from the green on the fairway. So, so it's bombs away, hit as close to the green as you can and gouge out of the, out of the rough. But St Andrews, Augusta and Royal Melbourne are not tests of straight hitting, they're tests of accurate hitting. So can you hit accurately to a point as opposed to just hit it down the bowling alley or hit it between the goalposts? So golf where it's hitting between the goalposts is ultimately a boring game, which is why St Andrews and Augusta and Royal Melbourne are the three most interesting courses pro golf goes to because it's not a straight hitting contest, it's an accurate hitting contest. So I'm against the growing of long grass on golf courses just to fight what the ball's doing. I mean, fix the ball. Fix the clubs. Don't distort the golf courses in an attempt to manipulate the score. Would be my point. No, well, and, and I am completely in agreement. Yeah, totally. No, I'm talking in terms of, you know, short-term fixes in particular for last week as an example. But no, by all means, never would I suggest that you that change some of the most historic layouts and the way that they've been played in the past yeah. um, to try and fix the problem when there's other ways to do it. I mean, my point would be you I don't think, need a short-term uh, fix, you need a long-term fix. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think what Bryson's doing, I mean, I, I can't imagine blokes at the RNA and the USGL watching that thinking that's what we think golf should look like. They're looking at that going, we don't want golf looking like that. And part of the problem is Bryson looks, even though as effective as his swing is, somehow there's a beauty about Roy McIlroy smashing at 250 yards that Bryson doesn't have. Bryson just looks like a rotating refrigerator to me. And I don't want to watch that. I'm just not interested in watching some guy standing there swinging at 130 miles an hour trying to belt the ball 250 yards. I'm just not interested in watching that. Some people are, but I'm not. So like watching NASCAR and some people like watching Formula One because you actually could do more than just turn left in Formula One. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's how you want the game to look. And guys hitting the ball 350 yards as far as they can, hitting half the fairways at best and then gouging on the green and putting, well, you know, that's just not interesting to me. So, you know, it's interesting to some, but that's not what golf should look like. And I can't imagine people at the RNA or the USJ thinking, that they're happy with what it looks like because it just it doesn't it's not well the most important thing is it's it, it completely renders the golf course irrelevant it's just a bash and pitch contest well you mentioned the uh, the rna clates and and just to kind of pivot a little bit um they've announced today and it's something that we're going to hear more about on the show um next week the uh, the open for the ages and it kind of slots in nicely with this topic of conversation as well because what would you say if i could um, tell you, you could watch Jack versus Tiger playing at St Andrews, which is um, what they're concocting for uh, July 16 to 19 next weekend in, in place of what would have been um, open week. Um, they're going to have Faldo, Rory, Watson, Seve, Tiger and Jack Nicholas, amongst others, I believe. They've edited 50 years of archive footage on that golf course together and they're going to make it look like they're all playing against each other. What's your thoughts I'll on that, Clades? That would be unbelievable, wouldn't it? That would be, be amazing. Well, I, I guess think it's a brilliant, a brilliant, so brilliant they, idea. Yeah, it would be, be incredible. Yeah, it would be fantastic. Yeah, it would be brilliant. Yeah, that would be cool. So, <laughs> yeah, something, know, certainly thought, something different. Yeah, it would be great. I'm after watching Nicholas at Nicholas. And Nicholas saying the old course was brilliant. I, I was, 
you know, I watched him play in 84 there, but 70 and 78 where he won there, I mean, that was, to me, that was kind of great golf to watch. And, and there was a, he was playing a massive variety of clubs and, and of course, it's the most interesting course to watch golfing anyway. So, you know, the, the mistake people make about the PJ Tour is they assume that's what American golf is, where that's, it's American tour golf, but that, that's not what American, proper great American golf is, apart from Riviera and a, a couple of courses like that. You know, the, 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 the tour doesn't go to the great American golf courses, which is a pity, but yeah. that's the way it is. But watching golf at St. Anne's would, would be amazing. So if they could somehow splice all that film together to make it, seem like they're playing against each other that would be pretty cool cool more of that's next more of that next week clay so we really appreciate your time we'll let you get back to trentham there i just knew you yeah, have but... um you know a voice of a voice of reason on the, the okay. emerging threat to the game <laughs> thank you very much thanks Ozzy. thanks ali talk to you later put a jacket on clay oh. put a jacket on it's chilly out it's an amazing thing Ellie, because, um, you know i'm, I'm at pains as much as i ripped into bryson earlier i think it's really important to note that from a technical standpoint, I'm, you know, he's breaking ground. It's fantastic. We need to applaud him for taking the game to the next level. It's just that we need, as Clayton said there, to be very careful about what that might mean to the external elements of, of all golf, because with agronomy and everything else going on around the world at the moment, we, we need to make sure that golf has its place. And, you know, the, the shop window of, of what Bryson DeChambeau is scary, basically. Because um, if it becomes the norm in 50 years and he's one of 50 guys doing that, then we won't have courses. As, and that's what Clates is getting at. No, as opposed to the cameraman incident, no disrespect to Bryson DeChambeau intended here. No, no, of course not. And you know what? It's a credit to him that he saw, you know, I guess the fault in the in the current system as we're playing. He kind of cracked the code and it's it's one thing to see it but then to act on it and succeed in doing so in terms of bulking up, there's just so many guys that have tried to do that and, and women in the women's game as well that have tried to gain distance and, and they've gone backwards. So it's another thing to deliver. And I, sh- I should just make one caveat that the first tournament winner uh, with strokes gained off the tee and strokes gained putting was since 2004 as well. So I don't want to get the nitpickers okay. out where they, they, they clip us for it, but it is <laughs> first time in 16 years. So credit to him off, off the tee, but obviously getting the job done on the greens as well as a result. Now, we've got a million things. Thanks for steering me straight there. A million things to run through here before we wrap it up. We'll just go rapid fire because I know we both have to go here. First of all, I want to mention Tom Henry and Brian Furlong at the Woodlands Golf Club in Melbourne who had holes in one in the same group, different holes, but in the same day's play the other day at Woodlands. So congratulations (laughs) to Tom Henry and Brian Furlong. There's a bit of a, a rash of aces going around the country at the moment. So Well done to them. And before you take it away for a second here, I want to make mention, Warren Smith brought this to our attention, the the erudite, I'm going to call him, Fox Sports commentator, who's a fantastic golfer himself and a mad keen on it. He was out playing at Bonnie Doon, a Mike Clayton course last week with a a young amateur from Sydney called Jeremy Fuchs. And uh, I just want to say that Jeremy started with par bogey, Ali, Um, just a normal club comp round. In, uh, in at Bonnie Doon, beautiful Bonnie Doon. He's then proceeded to go birdie, birdie, par, par, birdie, birdie, par. So he's out in 31, very nice round in the offing. And he's gone on the front nine as they've turned. He started on the 10th. Birdie, 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 par, birdie, birdie, birdie. And he's had an eagle putt on the last for a 59 and a, a just missed apparently. 
Uh, so he's settled in inverted commas, <laughs> settled for a 60 after being one over through two holes on a course that's not chopped liver at all. Bonnie Doon's a fantastic course. Jeremy Fuchs, well played, um, 60 on one of Australia's great little metropolitan courses, well played. Unbelievable golf and doing it as well because you know that Warren Smith probably three holes in had a golf club out pretending to commentate as well. So he would have had to listen to that and try and focus on his <laughs> golf score. <laughs> I've worked with Warren a couple of times. What a legend. <laughs> he would have been so jacked. He honestly would have been in it for every single shot of it. What a golf fan he is. He's a great man, Warren. He's so enthusiastic about it too. I think he loves his league, but I think if he could choose, he'd be a pro golfer for sure. I've, that's my gut feeling. I know you've got plenty of stuff you want to bring oh, to yeah. the table. I'll go down. for it and I'll come back in. Yeah, just a little bit of a world wrap, uh, really. Uh, there was uh, an a Irish scratch series that's been obviously created in Ireland um, by a guy called Gary Keating, um, which is being played at Seapoint Golf Links. And it's a mix of male and female golfers, professionals and amateurs. So if you're off a handicap of six or less for the men, it's nine or less for the women, you can tee it up against some of the world's best players and Leona Maguire walked away with the win after shooting a, a course record there. She's been formally ranked as number one amateur in the world. She's represented Ireland in, at almost every single level. Um, one of the best players in the NCAA uh, when she was over in the US. So great to see her kind of get across the line. So 500 euro for the win, but not a massive check. But at the same time, these opportunities are so important for, for pros to to keep their uh, their game sharp, which kind of leads me into um, a couple of things happening in Austria as well. Obviously, we've got the uh, the Austrian Open on the European tour, and I, I just really want to want to credit them for what sight I guess they've had during this COVID um, period of time because they've had so many opportunities for their their best pros to keep playing. They've done skins matches, they've done mixed events. Um, Christine Wolf just walked away with a, a mixed pro am win. Um, as a result of that and I, I just think they're really getting it and so seeing a couple of events over there just outside of Vienna the next couple of weeks is is great and uh, I hope everyone gets around those. Um, what else? Third event on the Rose Ladies series schedule uh, happened uh, last week at the Buckinghamshire Golf Club where uh, a Scott, Gemma Dryber, a great girl, um, pipped Georgia Hall at the post, Charlie Hull in the field, Dame Laura Davies, like these, these aren't to be sneezed at um, in terms of the people that are coming out to, uh, to support those events. And uh, this week it's at Royal St George's, which is the first time ever they have held a women's professional event. So uh, a groundbreaking week. Uh, obviously was meant to be the, the site of the Open this year, but um, great to see them get on board uh, with, the, with the tournament there as well. I'd love to see Damo go nuts at Royal St George's. She's a legend, uh, but yeah, well done there. Um, I want to mention, <laughs> I, I should have done this right off the top, uh, but he's fallen back because of the importance of some other things we, we dealt with, obviously. But I want to mention, Ali, Ho Sung Choi, who sprung to prominence a couple of years ago with his crazy swing in terms of many purists' um, vision of what the golf swing should be. Now, our man, because I think he's a very firm ITR, Inside the Ropes favourite, Ho Sung Choi was 12 under in the final group in the third round, playing the 18th hole, so the 54th hole of a Korean uh, PGA event. 12 under, Ali, he was. Air shot. Air swing with his big fry pan driver. <laughs> 
it was one of the all-time great bits oh, of video. No. You can search it on websites all around the world, Ho-Sung Choi. If you want to have a look at a really quality world-class pro who's got a great hand-eye coordination and you want to see a legend have an air shot to make you feel better, Ho-Sung Choi is your man. Go and check it out. It's, <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic. I, I couldn't recommend it to you more. He's a, he's a hero, Ho-Sung Choi, to me. Weird Swing and Aries, uh, just next level for me. Have you seen that? I haven't seen the recent stuff, but apparently I have on good authority that he actually used to swing the club normally. So it oh. hasn't always been like this for him. This is something that he's moved into um, and adapted and kind of embraced about himself that he, he plays better when he's just a little bit loose. And it, I think he's obviously just a really non-linear mind in the way mm. that he attacks the game and he's kind of cracking code because the results follow that's very true. Well, I, you know, perhaps yourself and Clay's excluded, but everyone else pretty much on this show is more than capable of having an airy. But you never see it from a, a PGA Touring pro who's 12 under the card. Anyway, <laughs> I love him for it. Uh, I just did want to mention uh, the threat of physical violence by Greg Oakford that we've been building a webinar library at Golf Australia. Uh, we did one on um, podcasting the other day, but there are several around for clubs um, to use as resources. Um, through this COVID period and onwards. Uh, if you want to check out some webinars with some great tips for your club and what you can do in your community, uh, golf.org.au forward slash webinar hyphen library. Um, there's some already great stuff and we're planning to do a few more there. So if you can put up with me for a little bit more, there's a one there on podcasting and there's mothers up already courtesy of Matt Chesterman and Greg Oakford. So great job for those guys. Um, I reckon that's about it for me, Ellie. I'm not sure about you. <laughs> no, I think everything's crossed off the list and then some. I feel like, <laughs> is there anyone we haven't spoken to today? It's been brilliant. Uh, thank you. I really appreciate your time. And it's been um, a very hectic show. We've had uh, all sorts of things from uh, Matty Guyatt, most prominently. Uh, really, our hearts go out to him and his family. Hope everything's on the mend as soon as possible there. But thank you for everyone who made an appearance on the show. Thanks, Ellie Whitaker, a rock as always. Correcting my errors too. Brilliant. Uh, no, <laughs> it's a commentary thing, Hazy. Don't worry, it's nothing personal. <laughs> but uh, as ever, no, always great to, uh, to, to hear all of the stories, really, because uh, it's so easy to, to miss some of the gems, like the two hole-in-ones. Love that. Love that stuff. Keep it, keep it coming in. Yeah, keep, us, keep letting us know via all channels possible so we can put your name out if you've done something crazy because um, there's a rash of aces around Australia at the moment. We love to keep people informed. Thank you, Ellie. Thank you, everyone, for assisting us. And we'll be back next week. I think Andy Mars probably back in the chair to have another crack at sort of writing this ship again. That'll be uh, episode 172. This is 171. Thanks, and we'll catch you next time.